Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. A year ago, God knew we would be in this situation where we are searching for our next senior pastor, and we've been able to see God do some incredible things already during this season of wondering. One of those things is bringing uh, guest speakers in on a regular basis, and this morning, our guest speaker is Ken Fielder, and Ken is the president director of Worldview Ministries. His pastor is a friend of mine. I know his son from college. We were talking about this. His name's Mark Monty, and he's right outside the Indianapolis area, but it's great church, great ministry, and I know you're going to be blessed this morning by the ministry of Ken Fielder. Would you do me a favor, church, and give him a very warm welcome as he comes to speak for us today. Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you today. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. While you're turning there, let me tell you what an honor it is for me to be here today. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. And I'm, I'm just delighted to be with you and be part of your missions month and to be closing it out on this particular Sunday. <clears throat> it's just a joy to be here. I, um, I want to apologize for my wife not being here. Uh, she had COVID back in November of last year and, and was fine all the way up until Father's Day. And on Father's Day, I had to rush her to the emergency room and she was diagnosed with double pneumonia and she's still recovering from that. And uh, from what we've read online about her particular condition, it could take three months to a year to recover. And so she travels with me almost everywhere I go, and I'm, uh, I'm kind of lost without her on the, on the trips with us for the last few weeks. But uh, pray for her soon recovery and that she can get back on the road with us, and I would appreciate that. Uh, our ministry is going great. Worldview Ministries is going great. Our projects are moving forward. The particular project that you folks have helped support, the Pamiri Project, is, um, it is the, the, that's located or based in Tajikistan, and that's a very tense part of the world right now, as you can well imagine. That's right on the north border of Afghanistan, and if you would remember that project in your prayers and, and the folks who are associated with that in our ministry, I would be very grateful for that. They're not in any imminent danger. Uh, our associate actually lives in a house right across the river from Afghanistan, and uh, the Taliban has all their there are checkpoints set up at the bridges that come across the river, <clears throat> and so you can look across the river and see them. But uh, so far, there's no, been no imminent danger for them, but we want to keep them in our prayers. Um, other projects in similar situation is Myanmar. We have a project in Myanmar, and the military took over the country back in February. A military coup took place, and it's just been a very, very bad situation. Thousands of, of uh, Burmese people have been killed by the military, by their own military. And uh, it's a very dire situation, not only politically, but economically. And uh, if you just remember those two in your prayers, we'd be grateful for that. In spite of that, the Bible transla translation work moves forward. And we thank the Lord for that and for your prayers on that. 
I have prayed for you as a church. I have learned a few weeks ago that Pastor Riddell had resigned, and uh, I love Pastor Riddell. I've, I've appreciated his friendship through the last few years, and uh, I'm excited for what the church has, for what God has for the church in the future, aren't you? I, I believe the Lord has a plan, and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let's bow for a word of prayer, and let's get right into the message, <clears throat> and let's see what the Lord has for us in His Word today. Let's bow together, please. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your precious Word. And Lord, we didn't come together uh, today just for fellowship, although that's a blessing. We didn't come together just to sing. That's a blessing, and we love to worship You in song. We also came here so Your Word can minister to our hearts. Lord, what I have to say for the next few minutes is not nearly as important as the message that comes from your word. And I pray that we'll hear that today and heed it. And we'll leave here different people because of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open, please. And I will, I will walk through the next few verses of Scripture all the way down at least through verse 24. But let's read verses 17 and 18 now, and I'm jumping into the middle of a context, and I will explain that context after I read it. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. The setting of this text is Paul's farewell message to the Ephesian elders, the leadership of the churches of Ephesus. He's on his way back from Macedonia, where he has collected an offering for the saints at Jerusalem. He's traveled across the Aegean Sea, and he stops at the port city of Miletus and calls for these Ephesian elders, and they traveled about 20, 25 miles to come and meet him. And we're gonna have one last meeting between Paul and the men that he trained for ministry. It's likely that he won them to Christ himself. He most definitely was their spiritual mentor and nurturer. And so as kind of a father to these men, a father figure in the ministry to these men, he, after three years of, of teaching and, and training them, he wants to meet with them one last time. Paul had endured a lot of persecution during the time at Ephesus. Now these men were the pastors that Paul had put into place and ordained, and he wants to encourage them about the future of the church. Now, you can imagine uh, you went through a, a situation recently where your pastor gave a last message to the church, and I'm pretty sure he shared with you what he felt were some very important spiritual truths for your life. You can imagine Paul knowing he will never see these people again, and the future of the church, in many senses of the word, rests on their leadership and the direction that they set for this church, their churches, Paul is going to share with them some very important stuff. Would you agree with that? I want you to know, first of all, Paul does not share with them any methodology. He doesn't talk about how to build a big crowd. He doesn't talk about how to attract people to your services. There's no methodology in what Paul's about to share. He's going to share some very vital, basic, foundational truths for what the church should be focused on. He's going to talk about, I believe, and this is how I title the message, the passions of the church. You see, it's not Paul's methodology that needs to be imitated. It's Paul's passion that needs to be imitated. Amen right there? It's the heart Paul had for God and the heart he had for ministry. 
That's what we need to look at in his life. And you notice in the two verses we just read, Paul actually says, Ye know from the first day that I came here, I'm paraphrasing, you the first day that I came here, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. In other words, you know what it was like when I was here. You know what ministry was all about. You know how I trained you and taught you. You know what my focus of ministry was. I'm going to remind you of those things. I'm going to talk about my own example with you, and that's what I'm going to use to encourage you for the future. I want you to see this statement before, and you may have to, Blaze, you may have to reset that because it's not advancing for me. Give us a minute here. I want you to see this phrase right here on the screen. I use this phrase almost every time I preach. There we go. Thank you. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. I believe this is the main work of God. I believe it's the domineering, or dominating rather, work of God. This is the focus and passion of God for everybody on the face of the earth to know who He is to see Him in His glory and come to worship Him, experience His grace and become part of His family so they can become a part of the family of worshipers. And I want to assure you this morning that God's mission hasn't changed. And God's mission in relation to this church hasn't changed. And our part in this mission hasn't changed. God sees the end from the beginning. And He knows everything that's going to happen on, on every day of our lives. And God knew where this church would be in this situation right now. And He has a plan for this church. Can you say amen right there? Our plan is not just to figure out what the, the details of our ministry is going to be. But our plan also has to be... How does this church continue on mission with God? I want you to see four areas that Paul discusses right here. Would you look with me, please, at uh, chapter 20, verse 19? If we're going to be on mission with God, you may be sitting here thinking this morning, I want to be on mission with God. I want our church to be on mission with God. So what can we do right here, right now? How can we possibly make a difference in getting the gospel to every kindred, tribe, and tongue and and seeing the glory of God propagated around this world? We want to be on mission with God. What do we do right now? Look at the first three words with me of verse 19. Would Would you read these words out loud with me? Ready? Serving the Lord. First thing I want to talk to you about this morning is passion for God. If I want to be on mission with God, what should I focus on? If I want our church to be what our church should be and our church to be on mission with God, what should we be focused on? We ought to be focused, first of all, on God. Serving the Lord. Paul is showing, remember, from his own example what ministry is supposed to be like. And he says, first of all, I want to remind you of this foundational truth for all of ministry, that our passion must be turned toward God. We are servants of the Lord. We focus sometimes too much on what we do for God when our focus should always be primarily on God Himself. I believe the number one pursuit of every believer is the pursuit of God. A close, intimate relationship and fellowship with God. Enamored with Him. Awed by Him. In, in reverence toward Him. And Paul talks about this over and over. 
Here he says, serving the Lord. But 17 times in his epistles, Paul identifies himself as a servant of the Lord, a servant of God. The, the word he uses many, most of those times, if not all of those times, is the word doulos, which means bond servant or bond slave. Paul could have very easily said, Paul the preacher, Paul the apostle, Paul the church planter, Paul the missionary statesman. But he never said those words. He said, I am a servant of the Lord because the primary emphasis of our hearts in this church and as believers on mission with God ought to be a focus on God. You know, sometimes we need to just, just stop what we're doing. Sometimes we need to stop the busy activity of working for God and just take some time to focus on God. Can I get an amen right there? Would you hold your place in chapter 20 and go back just a few pages to chapter 13? I want to show you something marvelous about the church at Antioch. Acts 13, verse 1. <clears throat> I want you to notice how God was working in this church. Acts 13, 1 says, Now there were in the church that was at, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered, thank you very much. I apologize for my coughing today, but I've had, uh, I've had to deal with that for the last couple of weeks. Notice the, the important words of verse 2, please. As they ministered to the Lord. Now it doesn't talk about, it says that in, in verse 1, it says they had teachers in the church. So the ministry of the word was going forth. There was activity taking place in the church. There were ministries being carried out, but it doesn't talk about their ministries and what they were doing for God. It says in verse 2, as they ministered, say the next three words with me again, to the Lord. You know what happened as they were ministering to the Lord? It says in the rest of verse 2, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And in the next few verses, they sent Barnabas and Saul out on a missionary journey to plant churches and minister to churches. As the church's focus was on the Lord, the Lord worked in the church and the Holy Spirit called men out to carry out the mission of God. I want you to notice a couple of things about our, our point right here this morning. Number one, genuine ministry is to God. That's what I've been saying for the last few minutes. It doesn't start with a passion for people. It doesn't start with a burden for the work. It doesn't start with a, a consuming heart to accomplish things for God. Genuine ministry always starts with a passionate heart toward God. That's what Paul is trying to get across in this first, this first thought. Now, I'm going to follow this up very quickly here and say this. Passion for God will result in service to people. And you know why that's true? Because God loves people. And ministry always involves reaching out to others and bringing them closer to God. We, I heard a missionary say once a few years ago, we make missions so complicated. But missions is really very simple. Missions is meeting people and telling them about Jesus and bringing them into a body of saved, baptized believers where they can be discipled and grow in the faith so they can go meet people and tell them about Jesus and bring them into a body of saved, baptized believers so they can be discipled and grow in the faith so they can go meet people. Isn't that pretty simple? That's not hard. That's not hard to figure out. So if our passion is toward God, we're going to want what God wants. 
We're going to be passionate about what he's passionate about. And you know what God's passionate about? People. But listen, the driving force of all ministry can never, can never be people because people will disappoint you. And people, my pastor's name was mentioned a few minutes ago by Brother Richard. My pastor says people can wear you out, right? If my driving force is you, I'm going to get tired after a while. But if my driving passion is God, I can, I can persevere. I can keep going. I can keep serving. So let's turn our hearts toward God. And you know that every act of, of service is to be an act of worship to Him. Everything I do for the Lord, I'm supposed to be doing it for Him, not for people. Paul says in more than one place in his epistles that we're not here to please men, we're here to please God. If I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ, Paul said. So every act of service is an act of worship to the Lord. That means teaching a class, singing a song. That means vacuuming the floor. It means picking up someone and bringing them to, them to church. All those things can be just as much, as much an act of worship as standing in the congregation, lifting your hands, singing and worshiping the Lord in song. Do you know that every sermon is an act of worship to God? I remember being convicted as a young preacher, I I, as a young pastor, I would deliver the sermon that God had given me. I had, I had studied and prepared, and I, God, by God's grace and God helping me, I never went to the pulpit unprepared. Now, not every sermon was top quality. You understand what I mean by that? But I was always prepared with something. And I remember as a young pastor, I would preach the sermon and I would be so disappointed in, in, in the way I delivered it. I would be disappointed in, and, and maybe I didn't get the truth across very well. And I would give the invitation and we would have counselors ready to, to, to deal with people who may have come to the altar. And I would kneel behind my pulpit and I would say something to God like this, Lord, I'm sorry, I just messed that all up. You know what my focus was? My focus was on me, number one. My focus also was on how my sermon came across. How did it sound to the people? And I remember kneeling behind that pulpit one day and God rebuking my heart and God said, you studied and you prepared and you delivered my word and the rest of it is up to me. Quit whining. Right? And I began to understand and, and through mentoring of others and through reading and study of scripture, I learned that a sermon, first of all, is an act of worship to God. And if you faithfully deliver the word of God and he's pleased with it, it doesn't matter if the people are pleased or not. So ministry is to God. You know what else this does? And I'm going I'm to move on more quickly here in a minute. But you know what else this does? If all ministry is to God, it removes your craving for recognition. A lot of us will, are, 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 are more than willing to serve as long as everybody notices. We're willing to serve as long as somebody will give us the credit for what we've done. But we don't need the credit. Our service was not to you. It was to God. Amen right there? Genuine ministry is to God. That's the first part of verse 19. Now I want you to look at the second part of verse 19, and I want you to see that genuine ministry is marked by two attitudes. Verse 19 again, serving the Lord with, now here we go, all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Notice first of all, we have the word humility. Do you know that if you really are serving the Lord, you know what it's going to be marked by? A humble spirit. Serving and pride just don't go together. It's like trying to mix oil and water. Now, there are people, as I just mentioned a moment ago, who, who are very willing servants as long as they get noticed, but you start uh, overlooking what they're doing and they'll just kind of back out of it. 
and, and get, you need to get somebody else to do that for a while. Because they weren't serving with a humble heart to please the Lord, it was more for personal recognition. And Paul talks about serving with a humble heart. If you're, if, could I be this bold to say, if it is position and promotion and recognition that you want, go climb a corporate ladder somewhere. But if it is God that you want to please, get busy serving in the church and just do the job and do what God is leading you to do and be part of the work of God and be part of the propagation of his glory and be part of getting the gospel of grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Carnality is the, is the source of strife in the church. And there is no strife in a church that is made up of humble servants because we're all in this for God. We're not competing with each other. We're not striving against each other. We're striving for God. We need a humble spirit. Next, I want you to see that service for the Lord is marked by a, an attitude of willingness to endure suffering. It's not working for me, Blaze. Can you hit it once, please? <clears throat> hit the, hit the, there we go. Thank you very much. Notice it says also in verse 19, with, all, with many tears and temptations. So here's how, I, here's how I view that. It's a willingness to endure suffering. If you're really in this for God, when it gets tough, you're going to stay in it. Isn't that true? If you're really in this for God and things go a little sour for you, you're not going to quit on God because it wasn't people you were serving anyway. When people disappoint you, you're going to stay faithful to God. There are two types of, uh, two words mentioned in this verse, and I believe they identify two types of suffering. And let's take them one at a time. Notice it says tears and temptations. I'm going to reverse the order, and I'm going to use the word temptations to refer to external suffering. We could use the word testings. Now, we could all go back to 2 Corinthians 11 and find that Paul was in weariness and watchings and painfulness and cold and nakedness and hunger and perils and shipwreck and beatings and stonings. And all of those things talk about the suffering that Paul endured for the cause of Christ. Can I ask you this question? Uh, before I ask it, let me say this. As soon as Paul was saved, he had to leave Damascus because they led him down in a basket over the wall to, uh, for his safety, for his life. Then he had to leave Jerusalem. He was persecuted at Cyprus, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, and Philippi. Every step of the way along Paul's journey, he was persecuted. But he stayed faithful to God because that's who he was serving. Willingness to endure suffering. There are a lot of people who are willing to serve until it gets a little uncomfortable situation and then we want to step away. But staying faithful to God through the tough times is what marks one who's truly doing it for the Lord. And that's what Paul is referring to with this word temptations, testings. Can I ask you a, a, a very transparent and honest question? I'm going to meddle just a little bit right here. I've heard somebody say uh, recently, you know, it's getting pretty bad in America. Jesus must be coming back soon. How many of you would agree that politically we're not headed in a good direction? Right? I don't care what your political stance is, what's happening in America right now is not good. How many would, you, would agree that the atmosphere of, of, of Christian and religious freedom is not headed in the right direction in our country? Right? We're not on, we're not on the right track. <clears throat> what if things get tough in America? What if things get to the place where we have to endure these testings, these external sufferings? And I just, I just said, I heard people say, it's getting bad in America. Jesus must be coming back soon. And I got a question about that. Why does Jesus have to come back and rescue the Americans? 
It's been bad all over the world for 2,000 years. Every day, every day, eight Christians are martyred for their faith. Every, uh, every week, 150, 182 church buildings are attacked or destroyed. You know that in Nigeria, from January through June of this year in Nigeria, over 3,000 believers have been killed. Every month, 300 plus Christians are in prison for their faith. And I believe we're headed for a day in America where standing for our faith may lead us to suffer some, some consequences we won't enjoy. But if we're really doing it for the Lord, we will be faithful. I say that with a, a hint of fear and trepidation because nobody wants to walk into suffering, do we? Nobody wants to walk into persecution, but we all ought to be asking God when it comes, would you give me strength? I'm in this for you and I'm going to keep walking with you no matter what. There's another element of suffering here that Paul refers to with the word tears. And I believe this refers to internal suffering. If you're serious about serving God, there will be an internal burden that is in your heart that is heavy. Let me prove it to you from the scripture. I just quoted from 2 Corinthians 11 and Paul talking about the painfulness and the perils and the shipwreck and the beating and all those things. You know how Paul ended that passage of scripture? He said, besides all that, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know what Paul considered his heaviest load? You know what he considered his heaviest burden was? A burden for the church. A burden for the work of God. There was something heavy in his heart that caused him to want to be such a part of the work of God and see the glory of God propagated and the gospel of God proclaimed to every kindred, tribe, and tongue that he hurt on the inside. I remember as a pastor for 16 years in Ohio, there's a burden that a pastor carries. There's a burden that he carries for the work of the Lord because he wants the gospel to be, uh, be powerful in his own community. Paul said in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians, I think it is chapter 3, he said, Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as, as it is with you. What he was praying is, people, please pray for me that God would help my ministry to be effective. No preacher wants to stand behind the pulpit and bump his gums and people say, oh, that was a nice sermon and, and no lives are affected or impacted by it, Right? Preacher carries a burden in his heart for the ministry of the word. He carries a burden in his heart for the people that he's serving and shepherding. When he sees you going through trials, he hurts. When he sees you neglecting or ignoring Bible truth and Bible principle and suffering the consequences of disobedience to God, that preacher hurts. If you're truly serving God, there's a burden you carry on the inside. But here's where I'm going with this. I don't believe the pastor ought to be the only one carrying the burden for the work of the Lord. Every believer is to be on mission with God and every believer is to carry a burden in his heart for the glory of God to be known by the whole world and for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to the ends of the earth. Every believer in this church ought to have a burden in our heart for this community that is, that is without Christ. And people whose lives are in shambles and, and, and drug addicts and alcoholics that are walking the streets, our hearts ought to bur be burdened for them because they don't know God and they're not worshiping our God and they never experience His grace and that's the whole heart of God. External suffering. 
persecutions, internal suffering, a burden for the work of the Lord, carrying in our heart what burdens God, grieving in our heart over what grieves God, loving in our heart those that God loves. That's not going to be a flighty, easy, rose-colored glasses kind of life. You're going you're to weep sometimes. You're going to strive sometimes. You're going to pray earnestly sometimes and fervently. You're going to study the Word fervently and ask God to teach you about Himself and give, him, give you His heart for, for, his, for His work and for His glory. We find all over the Scripture Paul weeping over lost people. He said in Romans 9, I could wish that myself were a curse for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He wept over weak and failing and struggling Christians in 2 Corinthians 2.4. He said, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. He wept over the threat of false teachers. You can read on right here in our text in Acts chapter 20. And you can find that, that Paul says, I warned you night and day for three years about the false teachers that would rise up from within or the false teachers that would come from without. I warned you with tears, he said. Passion for God. Can I just ask you this morning to do an examination of your own heart? Do you have a passion for God? Not a passion for the ministry, not a passion for a position in ministry, not a passion to be recognized in ministry, but just purely and simply a passion for God. How big is He in your heart? Here to the end for me, Blaze. Number two, I want to talk about a passion for God's Word. Look please with me at verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Notice, first of all, he says publicly. I, I, I have to point out in verse 20 there, the word profitable. To me, that takes me to 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. Uh, look at verse 27 of our text, Acts 20, verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know what Paul's saying in verse 20? He's saying... We need not only a passion for God, church leadership, church membership, we need a passion for His Word. I was bold enough when I was here, from verse 18, remember, after what manner I had been with you, when I was here, I was bold enough to preach the Word of God. Publicly, I proclaimed it. Next, I did it house to house. Now, we might use this as a text to say we ought to go door knocking and give people the Scripture, but I believe Paul is talking more here about discipleship. I preached it publicly, and I, I, I walked through the Bible, through the Scripture with you in your life, helping you learn how to apply a Bible principle to your life. And I want to say two things right here. Number one, we ought to be passionate for the Bible here. If you candidate a guy for pastor in the next few weeks or months, whenever that might be, and the pastor got up and said, you know, I know the history of this church. You've thought a lot of this book, and, and you've taken it literally as the Word of God. Well, if you call me to be the pastor of this church, I want you to know I'm not going to treat the Bible so literally. I believe there's a lot of great stories in here, and I believe Jesus was a great example for us to follow, but we're just not going to take the book so literally for the future of this church. How many of you would vote against that guy? You may not want to, I think every hand in the room ought to go up, you'd vote against that guy, because we believe, don't we, this book is the foundation of this church. Can I get a big amen right there? Yeah. Can I ask you this question? If we believe so passionately that the Bible is important for us here, 
can we also believe it's important for them over there? 3,700 languages still don't have the Bible. That's why Worldview Ministries exists, to get them the Scripture in their language. If the Bible is the foundation of our lives and of our church, it has to be the foundation of ministry all, all over this world. And I had to throw that plug in there because I work in Bible translation and because I believe every people on earth ought to have the Bible in their own language. Thirdly, and we're going to move along here and close, passion for the gospel. Passion for God, passion for God's word, and passion for the gospel. In verse uh, 21, notice it says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I won't belabor this point because I believe you know what the gospel is. The gospel is the only message that can save a man's soul. And I believe it's summarized in this verse with two thoughts. It's repentance toward God because it's God we offended with our sin. And it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can save you. We've got to get passionate for this message. <clears throat> you know, this week, God is going to put somebody right in front of you who needs Jesus. And the question is, will we be willing and bold enough to speak up for Jesus when God puts this person in front of us? It is not a virtue to talk about 7,000 unreached people groups that live somewhere else in the world that need the gospel and ignore the people God puts right in front of you. That's actually hypocrisy. Oh yes, our church is a great missions church. We support a lot of missionaries. Our goal is to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But here's a man standing right in front of me and needs Jesus. Will you talk to him? See, if you're passionate for God, you're going to be passionate for his word and you're going to be passionate for his gospel. And here's the last one. Look with me, please, at verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I'll stop right there for a minute. <clears throat> Paul had a passion for God's will and God's leadership. You know what your primary concern ought to be this morning? I want you to be pleased and I want to draw as close to you as I can. I want to build my life on your word. I want to talk about your gospel and I want to follow your daily leadership in my life. Notice Paul's phrase there in verse 22, I go bound in the spirit. The, the, uh, the overwhelming feeling among those Paul was ministering to at this point, and you can read on in chapter 21 and find the four daughters of Philip prophesy to Paul, and Agabus the prophet speaks to Paul. Everybody's trying to get Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed with that offering for the saints, and they keep telling him, no, don't go, don't go, don't go. Agabus said, took off the, the girdle or the belt around his robe and said, he, he wound it up around his wrist. He said, this is what's going to happen to the man that goes to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. They're going to arrest you. Paul, don't go. And Paul says in verse 22, I go bound in the spirit. The analogy Paul is using, and you can look this up yourself, is, is in the old days when a king would go to war in a, in a distant city and win the war, conquer the enemy. They would load all of the spoils of war onto these, these carts, these wagons, and they would be pulled by oxen or horses back to the king's or back to the conquering uh, conquering king's city, and they would parade these spoils of war down through the streets of their own city to show what a great kingdom we have. And behind those carts would be the prisoners captured, and they were bound at the wrists 
and they were walking along behind the carts as prisoners of war. They were either going to walk along or be drug along because they had no choice in the matter. They were prisoners. And that's exactly what Paul is saying with that phrase. I go to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. This is the leadership of the Lord in my life right now, and I'm going. Because what matters more to me than your concern for my safety is my concern to follow his leadership. And then Paul uses some of the, the, the greatest words in the whole New Testament in verse 24. Would you look at that with me? But none of these things move me. You're concerned about my safety. You don't want me to be persecuted, but none of those things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what Paul's saying in that verse? I'm on mission with God. I'm passionate for him. I'm passionate for his word. I'm passionate for the gospel, his message of salvation. And I'm going to go wherever he leads me to help me be the most effective part of his mission that I can possibly be. Can I ask you this morning, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate for God? Are you passionate for this book? Have you neglected it all week? You, you, you see, if you want to be a believer on mission with God and you want to be a church on mission with God and you wonder, what can I do today to be on mission with God? Let's pursue God. Let's get close to Him. Let's get close to His Word. Let's talk about His gospel. And let's be sure that today we follow His leadership in our lives. John Payton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands back in the late 1800s. On the ship, on the way to the New Hebrides, islands that were inhabited by cannibal tribes, the ship's captain said, you don't want to go to that island. And John Payton said, that's the island we would like you to take us to. No, you don't want to go to that island. Cannibals live on that island. Uh, that's okay, sir, we understand. Please take us to that island. That's where we want to be. The ship's captain pleaded with him and said, you don't want to go there. Finally, the, ca the captain said to John Payton, if I take you to that island, you're going to die. And John Payton said to the ship's captain, sir, we died before we came here. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate enough for God to follow him? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to ask you in just a moment, whether you come to the altar to pray, <clears throat> whether you pray in your seat, I want to ask you to, to pray, talk to the Lord for just a moment, and ask Him to grow your passion for these four things. God, help me to be passionate for you. Help me to be passionate for your word. Help me to be passionate for your gospel. Be bold enough and courageous enough and obedient enough to talk about you as you put people right in, in my path who need Jesus. And Lord, would you help me to be passionate to follow your leadership every day, wherever it takes me, whatever it would cost. I'm here for you, God. You know, in many of our modern churches, we're getting the idea that God exists to help us make it through our life. That every time we go to the Bible, we're looking for a, a pill 
a, a, some, some dose of medicine to help us with what ailing, what's ailing us. But God doesn't exist for us, ladies and gentlemen. We exist for God. And may God help us to draw close to him today. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of this passage of scripture in particular. The passion Paul had for you. Would you give that to us? The passion he had to proclaim your word publicly and, and in the discipleship of believers around him. Would you give us a passion to propagate your truth and help others learn it and live it? Would you give us a passion for your gospel as we encounter people every week who are lost and on their way to hell? Would you give us boldness as Peter and John prayed, grant unto thy servants boldness that we may proclaim the gospel. And would you give us passion to follow your leadership every day? May the consuming thought of our heart every morning be, Lord, what do you have for me today? I want to follow it. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you stand quietly, please? The pianist is going to play softly for a verse or two. God has dealt with your heart. Would you please do business with him? Right in the quietness of your own heart, would you do business with him this morning? Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.